Welcome to Addicted to Busy, the podcast specifically for overachieving property managers who are dying for a little more work-life balance in their lives. Each week, we dismantle all the BS that holds us back. You'll learn how to nix those tricky, self-sabotaging habits so that you have the time, energy, and motivation to create what you really want in life. If you're looking to shift from overcommitted to overjoyed, this is the podcast for you. Let's do this. Now, your host, Anna Havalyana. And welcome back to Addicted to Busy. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about money mindset and how to use money in order to challenge your scarcity mindset. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what a money mindset is or the difference between scarcity and abundance, I'm going to explain all of that to you on today's podcast. And if you're on our mailing list, you're also going to get a set of journal prompts that once you fill them out, you're going to be able to uncover what your current money mindset is. Now, before we hop into defining what all of that means, I wanted to share why this topic came to mind. So in the mornings, I like to check my photos app and look at the memories from my timeline. So when I do that, I get to see what happened on this day a year ago, two years ago, up to eight or nine, 10 years ago. And I love doing this. Uh, For example, if a photo comes up with a friend that I haven't seen in a while, I'll send it to them with a little message that lets them know that I still love them. Um, Every once in a while, or actually more than once in a while, a photo will come up that's really cringy. And those ones I love to share with my close girlfriends so that we can have a laugh at ourselves. But on occasion, a photo will come up where when I see it, I get overwhelmed or I get filled with compassion. So today, as I'm writing this episode, a photo popped up from 2013. And it's a photo of me seated in a chair while waiting at an airport for a flight in the Philippines. And I remember that my dad took the picture and I took the camera from him to look at it. And I hated what I saw. When I looked at the photo, I felt disgusted with myself. I looked at how my stomach was pouring over my leggings and I judged myself for not being able to get it together. Now, I realize that some of you listening may resonate with what I'm saying, and I want to assure you that I am not judging bodies. I believe that our society's fat phobia is a serious problem that causes undue harm to people's mental health, especially that of young girls. So let's be clear here. All bodies are beautiful and there is no standard as to what your physical form should be. And if this is a belief system that you're struggling with, I highly recommend the book, Your Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. But that was half of my problem right there. At the time that I first saw that photo in 2013, I was judging what I saw based upon everything that society told me I had to be. The reality was that at that time, I was overworking and I knew it, but I didn't necessarily know how to stop myself. I have two amazing girlfriends, and you've heard me reference them on the podcast before, and they continually called me out on how many hours I worked. But at that time, work 
was one of the very few things in my life that I felt I could do right. I had tried everything I could to make more money and lose weight, but you got to keep in mind that at the time that I entered the workforce, I was a leasing agent and I did not have two pennies to rub together. I lived in a crappy apartment where pieces of the ceiling would literally fall on me when I showered. My kitchen was missing drawers altogether, and I was shoveling sidewalks for the landlord just so that I could make rent. There was no money for a gym membership. And add into that, because I was working so much, I didn't have time to cook healthy meals, so I was filling myself up with the cheapest, easiest food possible. I can remember one night in particular, I had absolutely no money, no food. I had just moved into my own apartment after breaking up with my boyfriend. And at that time, I had no dog food for my dog. All I had was some bread, some granola, and some random condiments in my fridge. And I remember looking at my dog and saying to him, well, I'm fat already, so you should probably be the one to eat the bread. And all I'm trying to say here is that from 2012 to 2013, times are a little tough. Suffice it to say, for me, money was scarce. At that time, I had no clue what a money mindset was or why it was important. And I certainly had no idea that once you uncover what your money mindset is, that you can challenge it and change it. Your money mindset is basically your attitudes and beliefs about money. Now, what's a little bit trippy about your money mindset is that in most cases, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you have a positive money mindset, there's a higher chance that you will have a higher net worth. If you have a negative money mindset, chances are you may be in the red or close to it. Our money mindset is typically developed when we're children because we're so highly influenced by those who are close to us, but it can also be influenced by where you grew up. So as an example, your attitude towards money is probably going to be very different if you grew up in an apartment complex as compared to if you grew up in a gated community. Your mindset is comprised of thousands of beliefs. So for example, is it acceptable or taboo to talk about money? Do you believe that money is just money or do you think it's the root of all evil? When you see someone who looks like they have wealth, do you admire them or do you judge them? Simply put, your money mindset is your beliefs about money. And it could sound like money is the root of all evil. Could also sound like money is easy. Money is confusing. I always struggle with money. Debt is bad. You can't take it with you, so you might as well spend it. Money equals status. People who like money are materialistic. I can plan and reach financial goals. I'm a good saver. Those are all just beliefs. Now keep in mind, beliefs are just thoughts that you've thought so many times that your brain no longer needs to sit and process or consider them. The brain just believes them to be true. But not every thought that you think is 100% true, which means some of your beliefs may not be true either. The amazing thing is that your money mindset is 100% changeable. It's not fixed, although at times it may feel like it is. 
And there is no correct money mindset to have. It is all personal preference and you get to change it as much as you want. When it comes to money mindset, we can dive a little deeper by looking at whether you live from a space of abundance or from scarcity. So Stephen Covey describes it perfectly in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I quote, most people see life as having only so much as though there were only one pie out there. And if someone were to get a big piece of the pie, it would mean less for everyone else. On the flip side, the abundance mentality is the paradigm that there is plenty out there and enough to spare for everybody. The challenging part about the scarcity mentality is that because you're so focused on what you don't have, it becomes harder to focus on anything else, which can block us from seeing opportunities that are right in front of us. To add insult to injury, the scarcity mentality can lower your brain function and typically it increases your impulsivity. Now, I've definitely seen this within my own credit card statement. It's crazy, but when I didn't have money, I spent most of what I had. As soon as I started making great money and had more than I needed, I actually spent less on clothes and uh, random impulse purchases. I'll give you an example of winter coats. I used to have three to four winter coats at all time. All of them were cheap and not exactly warm. I remember the first year I invested in a Patagonia jacket. It was warm. It was cute. It was durable. And it was so warm that I stopped wearing all three of the other coats that I had. You see, when I didn't have a coat that did the job, I was constantly subconsciously aware of how cold I was. The fact that I was so cold was often on my mind. So when I saw a coat while shopping, I would just buy it. I remember buying that Patagonia jacket and thinking things like, oh my God, what are you doing? Spending $500 on a coat that's only for rich people and you are definitely not rich. And that is the scarcity mindset at its finest. I lived in Minneapolis at the time and it is so cold there that sometimes the governor has to shut down the whole state because it's negative 45 outside. And here I was buying random coats from Target and TJ Maxx. Here's the thing. I still have that Patagonia coat and it's still the only winter coat that I have. Plus I can zip off the top coat and it turns into a raincoat. So it's multi-seasonal. At this point in time, it has cost me less than $6 a month to have a coat that actually keeps me warm. By having the right coat that does the job and by dropping the belief that expensive things are only for rich people, I save myself money every year because I no longer have to keep impulsively buying coats. So going back to the time that I fed my beloved dog a bag of bread for dinner, for years, I looked at gym memberships and coaching packages and continuing ed classes as things that were for other people, things that weren't for me. I was sure that those classes were worth the money, but I didn't think that I could be someone who would be able to afford it. At the time, I started looking at people in my company who had positions that I wanted. And one thing that I saw frequently 
was how many of them had their CPM designations through IRAM. Now, I looked up how much it cost to get my CPM, and it was around $7,000. And my little brain said, hell no, we can't even afford to make a grilled cheese. And I kind of have to laugh about this now because if the 25-year-old version of me only knew how much I spent per year on continuing education and coaching now, she would lose her mind. Anyway, the first investment that I made in myself was the ARM through IRAM. And at that time, I actually had no clue that I could ask my employer to pay for my classes. So I paid for it myself. And I remember sitting on my couch in my apartment with my credit card information loaded into the webpage thinking, what the hell are you doing? This class equals like three months worth of rent. Now, there are a number of reasons why people don't invest in themselves, which we're going to get to later in this episode. But at the time of signing up for my ARM, I was very, very doubtful that I could make a return on my investment. There was no guarantee that this training was going to help me get promoted or get a better job. I was terrified to spend the money on myself. But because I did, I showed up. Typically, when we talk about people having a scarcity mindset, we look at it like it's a bad thing. On the outside, it seems like having an abundant mindset would be better than having a scarce mindset. But because my view of money was so scarce, I showed up for that class and I got it done. The same thing happened when I decided I needed to do something about my health. I've always been a runner, but I noticed that in the wintertime, Despite my best intentions, I typically stopped working out altogether. And one year I decided that I wanted to try CrossFit. And I told myself that I would only do it for the four to five months out of the year where I couldn't be running outside for free. And the same thing happened. I sat down to put my credit card information into the webpage to sign up for the monthly membership of $150 a month. And my brain was freaking out. My mind kept offering me scarce phrases saying, but what if something happens and you can't pay rent or these classes are only for people with money or things like you should really be saving that money. And once again, my scarce mindset drove me to show the heck up at class every week. Now, a lot of people have thoughts about CrossFit and whether or not it's safe. And I'm not here to get into that on the podcast today. But for me, CrossFit was one of the best decisions I ever made. It showed me that I was capable than more I ever believed possible. And it introduced me to two of my best girlfriends who I still talk to every single month. The money is what drove me to show up for myself in a way that I never had before. I knew exactly how many times I needed to show up to CrossFit each week in order to get the best price per class. And Since then, there have been so many other investments that I've made in myself, and they have all been scary. My husband and I share a singular bank account, but we each had our own sub account that we called our fun bucket account. And the fun bucket account was just that. It was our own account that we got to spend on whatever we wanted without having to consult the other person. I remember the first weight loss coach that I invested in. I used my fun bucket money 
And even though I knew that money could be used for whatever I wanted, my scarcity mindset still came back with a vengeance by asking me, who the heck are you to spend $500 on something that you should be able to do for yourself? But I did it anyways. I wanted to lose weight for my wedding and I decided to go for it. And I would not have traded that experience for anything. Because I can tell you one thing about it, that being able to put on your wedding dress and feel confident without a lick of insecurity on your wedding day is pretty priceless. Over the years, I've invested in all kinds of continuing education and personal coaching. I've hired a weight loss coach, a time management coach. I invested in the best life coach certification program I could find. And I've worked with multiple business coaches. And to be honest, I'm not done. (laughs) I have a list of ways that I'm going to continue to invest in myself in the future when I have the money available. As an example, I plan on taking language classes in 2024. And when I run my third marathon, I'm investing in a running coach to accompany me on that journey. And once Addicted to Busy reaches a certain amount of monthly revenue, I would really love to invest in a graduate degree. I will continue to invest in therapy and exercise classes because I know that they improve the quality of my life. If you want to stop achieving mediocre results, you need to stop trying to shortchange yourself. But I do understand that there are some roadblocks that many people face. While there are many reasons, here are the most frequent reasons why people do not invest in themselves. Number one, they don't think they're worth it. Number two, they think it's selfish. And number three, they worry that they won't get the desired result. So let's start with number one. You don't think that you're worth it. I have no clue who you are, but here's what I do know. Whoever you are listening to this podcast in this moment, you are important. You are important enough to take care of yourself. You are important enough to learn the things you want to learn and try the things that you want to try. There's nothing that you need to do or be that's going to make you more worthy of living the life that you want to live. So just let that rest for a second. If there's something that you want to invest in for yourself, you are already worth it. Number two, people believe that investing in themselves is selfish. Now, this goes back to the scarcity mentality that says, if I do more for myself, then there will be less for everybody else. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Our society has really stigmatized the word selfish. Especially if you identify as or have been socialized as a woman, you have likely been taught to put others before yourself and to not take more than you've been given. It's not wrong to be selfish at times. There is a difference between doing something that will come at someone else's expense versus doing something that is just for you. Those two things are very, very different. Too many people assume that doing something solely for themselves will always come at someone else's expense. And that's not always true. So I'll give you an example of one of my clients. Now, this client used to be very fit. In her 30s, she was known as someone who took excellent care of herself and uh, made time for exercise. But as her kids got older, she did less and less of that. 
She really believed that she needed to be available 24 seven to get her kids to where they needed to be. And she rarely asked for help from others. And because of that, her health suffered greatly. Now, those of you in the Addicted to Busy program probably know what I asked her to do. I asked her to put herself on her calendar. And this ties back to number one, that you are and always will be worthy of taking care of yourself. The reason why I ask my clients to put themselves on their calendar is because I want them to see that in an appointment with yourself, whether that is going to the gym or going to get your nails done or taking time to call your mom, doesn't matter what it is. An appointment with yourself is just as important as a meeting with your boss or a meeting with your asset manager. I want you to see yourself as important as all of the people that you're serving because you are. What my client saw is that when she did this, she did a better job of getting exercise in every week. And when she did, she was far less snappy with her kids and she was far more patient at work. This is not selfishness, my friends. This is responsibility. This is being a true steward of your physical and emotional health and also understanding that how you treat yourself is going to ripple out to the rest of the world. I repeat, investing yourself, whether that is time or money, is not selfish. And finally, moving on to number three. Many people do not invest in themselves because they worry that they will not get the result that they want. Now, I got to be really honest with you. I have invested in plenty of programs where I did not get the result that I wanted. And yet, I continue to invest in programs because it's not always about the end goal. If you're using the end goal as the deciding factor on whether or not something is worth it, you are stepping into perfectionism. When we're focused on perfectionism, what we're really trying to do is prevent failure, but failure is necessary for growth. If you're trying something new, you are going to fail. You are not going to be great at it right away. The growth happens in how you handle all of that failure. If you haven't listened to episode number 18, I'm going to encourage that you do. It's called The Missing Step to Achieving Your Goals. And in it, we talk about how the purpose of goals isn't solely about getting the result that you want. The purpose of goals, or in this case, the purpose of investing in yourself is so that you can challenge yourself to grow into a new person with a new set of skills or characteristics. If you're too focused on the end result, it's likely that you're basing your self-worth or self-opinion upon the result itself, which means that you're comparing yourself. The purpose of investing in yourself is not to compare yourself. The purpose is to challenge yourself and to grow. Too many people are limiting themselves from uncovering their true potential because they're stuck in the fear of not succeeding. But when they start to realize that failure is not a problem, and instead that failure is guaranteed to be a part of the process, that's when they get to see just how much they're made of. Now, I'm not implying in this podcast that people should go out and spend money that they don't have, but I am very much encouraging you to take a look at the goals that you have for your life and start taking them very seriously. Again, you are important. 
You are important enough to take care of yourself. You are important enough to learn the things that you want to learn and try the things you want to try. Today, when that photo of me from 10 years ago to the day popped up, I was overwhelmed with love. And I have teared up a couple times while writing this episode. When that photo was taken, I was in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of physical pain. I was in a lot of emotional pain. And I was in a ton of mental pain. But what that version of me at the time did not know was how very much I was going to take care of her. That the future me was going to figure out how to love the shit out of the past me so that I no longer have to look at pictures of me from any point in my life and not love the person that I see. You likely have something that you want to do, a class you want to take, a designation that you want on your resume, or a goal that you're not entirely sure that you can accomplish. And you owe it to yourself to find out if you can. Thank you for joining me this week. If you want to do a little digging into your thoughts and uncover your current money mindset, go to anahavlyana.com slash journal. That's A-N-N-A-J-A-V as in valuable, E-L-L-A-N-A.com slash journal. We will send you the prompts for all of the episodes of Addicted to Busy, and then we'll keep you updated with each of the new prompts that come out each week. All right, y'all. I love you. Keep going. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Addicted to Busy. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.